invite you to turn to chapter 5 of John. John chapter 5, we're going to keep going the series, and while you're turning there, I do want to say thanks to all the cards that you guys sent. Um, well, not all the cards, but most of them. Um, oh my goodness, paybacks, that's a great, great theme. Oh, I can't believe how many cards I've written and sent over the years that mock people at 50. <laughs> So it all comes back, and somebody, I, I think some person in our church put a four-by-eight piece of plywood that said, honk, he's 50, or something like that, and people were honking all day long. <laughs> like, there's something wrong with society. It's terribly broken, um, let me tell you. So I want to say thanks to you all. Um, I just uh, really appreciate your, your kindness and uh, and uh, this, uh, you know, two weeks ago, we had this guy up. Uh, he was the, the, the uh, he wasn't even the third string quarterback. He was the uh, second string wide receiver. I don't know. He said something like that. Uh, Jake preached a couple weeks back. And uh, it reminded me of a moment. Uh, D.L. Moody, I don't know if you know him, famous evangelist. Uh, he was over in Chicago. Um, and he founded this church and led all these people to Christ, and his church could seat about 5,000 people. And uh, it's still there. It's still in Chicago, downtown Chicago. And he was off on a trip somewhere, and they brought in this uh, second string wide receiver, as it were, to just fill the pulpit. And uh, the guy preached, and revival broke out. And so they held another meeting on Monday night. He preached on Sunday night. It wasn't even Sunday morning. It was Sunday night. And more people came. And by the third night, the place was packed. And all these people were coming to know the Lord in D.L. Moody's church, the famous evangelist's church. And somebody telegrammed him and said, you better get home. Revival's breaking out. And uh, he came back. And he didn't take over. He let that guy keep preaching. And uh, I love it. Because what we saw a couple weeks ago is uh, a gift that, we didn't know Jake had. <laughs> and uh, I got bad news for Jake. Uh, he's going to be preaching more. Amen? So, uh, yeah, so much for second string wide receiver. I'm not buying that anymore. Uh, he did a phenomenal job. So, um, John 5, uh, you ever... We run across this a lot in society, right? People, um, they like Jesus, but they don't like Jesus' message. And more importantly, they actually like Jesus' message, but they don't like an aspect of his message. So they like Jesus when he talks about love, and Jesus when he talks about justice, and Jesus when he talks about unity. They like Jesus and all that stuff and forgiveness and all that, but when it comes to Jesus God, Jesus telling you, I am God, believe in me, and, and, and the exclusivity of that claim, they don't like that. So they like Jesus as a great moral teacher, but they don't like Jesus as the God of the universe. And I don't know if you run up against that, you brush up against that. We have people that knock on our doors and, and try to convince us, hey, they may have knocked on your door, Jehovah Witness comes by and says, you know, Jesus wasn't God. And and it chips away to faith. Or, or we have, you know, recent, some, some leaders 
in Christian dumb who've, you know, they have to send out the text, oh, I no longer believe this, I'm walking away. Why, why would you even announce that? I don't care. But they're saying, no, Jesus is a great moral teacher, but he's not God. I don't believe that. And it chips away. And is he God? Is he not God? Did Jesus just really say that? I mean, can we find that here? Did he say that anywhere? And, and today is one of those moments where Jesus encounters people that say, oh, no, you're not God. And and what happens is actually in the book of John, there's several trials that happen. There's a famous one we all know about. That's Jesus's trial at the very end. But Jesus actually had several trials before that, but they weren't like what you would say is necessarily the court scene in Herod's, you know, uh, in Herod's court or uh, whatever before the Sanhedrin. This is kind of the impromptu trials, as it were. They weren't scheduled. They weren't on the docket, but they happened anyway. And it starts in John 5. We, we talked about the story where Jesus heals the, the paralyzed man. And what happened there is Jesus comes in, this guy's paralyzed, he heals him, and then he commands him to take up his mat and walk. Does two things, breaks two laws according to men in that moment. Because man had put together uh, this whole rule book when God said honor the Sabbath as one of the big 10 commandments, day of rest, honor it to the Lord. Then man said, oh, well, we got to define what work is because people are going to break that. And, and they've got to figure it out and start to become God, as it were, and, and make rules for everybody. And so they made a rule. You can't heal on the Sabbath because that's work. And, and, and you can't, well, you can't carry your mat, your little roll-up bed mat because that's work. And so Jesus in that moment breaks two of the man-made laws, not God laws, but man laws. And he heals this guy. And so when we pick up the story and this guy's carrying his mat, he's healed and the Jewish leaders in the middle of chapter five or, or right around chapter five, verse 10, say to this guy who's just been healed, it's the Sabbath, why are you carrying this mat? And he's like, I just was healed. That guy told me to do it. So they're like trying to find out who that guy is. Fast forward, they end up having some kind of a sit down encounter with Jesus. Like there's a conversation that happens and they confront Jesus and they're telling him, you've broken this law of the Sabbath. And it's not only that, he's broken the law, but now he's claiming to have like oversight over the Sabbath. Like who do you think you are that you can just tell people what to do on the Sabbath? And it says this in verse 16, the Jews, this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them. So here's this conversation. My father's working until now, and I'm working. Uh-oh. Like, he drops that bomb, and then look what happens. And this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father and making himself equal to God. Circle that. Highlight that dog ear that if you ever wonder like did jesus ever outright say this right here he says it and what's interesting is you know when you hear people say oh no jesus never claimed that it's like well, well wait a minute he not only claimed it the jews understood what he was claiming like they understood very clearly that jesus was making a statement here that he is god he is equal to god and so what starts here in verse 17 and ends all the way, actually chapter 5 is really a trial. It's the crime, healing on the Sabbath, commanding a guy to carry a mat on the Sabbath, and then the crime of claiming to be equal to God. That's the trial. 
And then the rest of the verses in chapter 5 are about the trial. So the next few verses here, there's two aspects to it. There's Jesus giving his testimony, and then there's Jesus bringing witnesses. So let's look at the testimony first. So Jesus takes the witness stand, as it were, in verse 19. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you. Now here's something. This is a freebie, okay? If you ever read the Old Testament, you'll see these prophets. They always say this, thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. The Lord told me. The Lord has revealed to me, right? You see that over and over and over again. But when you get to Jesus, he never says that. He just says, truly, truly. He says, hey, pay attention. This is God talking. And you find, actually, as you read through the Gospels, people marveled at his authority. Because Jesus never said, thus says the Lord. Jesus just talked like he was the Lord. I love that. So he comes out and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord. But only what he sees his father, or sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. Let's stop right there. We're just going to kind of take this testimony one piece at a time. He's on the witness stand, and he starts off with this. I am one with the Father. The Father and I are together. And it's a powerful cultural metaphor of the son growing up, apprenticing with his father to take over the family's business, right? So he watches dad and does everything that dad does. How dad does this. How dad does that. What did he do when he does this? And he, he becomes a carbon copy of his dad. And we see this play out in our own families even now. We've, we watch our kids growing up, and they become like their parents. They, they imitate their parents. They want to be like mom and dad up to a certain age, and then it changes, right? <laughs> that wasn't a joke, but that's a joke, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, that's just it. And so Jesus is making this comparison saying, the father and I we do, I do the same things. We, we do everything together. I am just like the Father. In fact, I am one. Like, there, there is a oneness about this. Everything the Father is doing, I am doing. Whatever the, son, the Father does, I do likewise. What we have here is a unity. Jesus is talking about a unity that is, it's never been seen before. Never been seen on, on, the, on the planet. A unity of being that really, it, what he's saying here, he's on the witness stand. The crime has been these things. One, the, the healing, the commanding to break the Sabbath, and then the claim to be equal with God. And now he's on the witness stand. And what is he saying? First of all, the Father and I, we are so unified. We are, we are together. Everything he does, I do. Like, we're tight. And when you read Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is a famous verse that they would know, these Jews would know, it says, the Lord God, the Lord is one. For him to claim this kind of unity to the Father is a claim of deity. So he's on the witness stand and he's saying, yep, yep, that's, that's exactly what I said. I'm equal to the Father and, and, and here's how this looks. We are one. We are unified. He goes on, and, and if you're wondering, well, how does this work? Because this is now Jesus' 
God, truly God, but the Father. And, and now we're talking about really the emergence of the Trinity here in this conversation, the idea that God in three persons, right? God, one being in three persons, equal in being, different in function. The functions have a, there's a, a subordination to this, but that does not diminish the quality in being. Now, I know this, this is where it starts to be, God is like a, an egg, you know, the shell and the yolk. I, I'm not even going to try to do that. Like, there's a mystery to this. But we can, yeah, if you want to jump into TTP, we talk about the Trinity. We spend a whole time talking and trying to explore this. But this is where this starts to emerge, this idea that Jesus and the Father are one. Jesus is fully God. So moving on, verse 21, it says this up, up through 22, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. So he's saying, I'm equal to God. We are one. We are united. But not only that, I, I, I have the divine rights the divine authority, full authority to life and to judgment. No one else can claim that. No one else has that power, that right. I mean, he just healed someone on the Sabbath, which is healing is life. But he just gave healing. And, and he's also saying, look, I have the right to judge people which also means he has within that the ability to forgive people. When Jesus heals on the Sabbath, ultimately it's a statement about being God, which the crime they were accusing him of was claiming to be God. That's what it's all about. He goes on, verse 22 through 23, and he says this, the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the sons, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. You know, Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8 says this. It says, I am God. I will not share my glory with anyone. And these, these Jewish leaders know this. What Jesus is saying right here is, I share the glory with the Father. That's, I mean, this is the witness stand. Like, if you're trying to build the case to, to exonerate yourself, you wouldn't be saying this. You'd be trying to say, no, no, all the glory is God. Like, if you're trying to say you're not God, which that's what they're accusing him of, and if you're trying to back away from that, and if everybody around the world for all history here since Jesus has been saying, no, he's just a good moral teacher, you would think in this moment Jesus has the door open to step aside and let God be God and him not be God. And what he does here, he says, no, we share the glory. It's a clear statement, a divine being. When somebody glorifies Jesus, they're glorifying the Father. When they don't glorify Jesus, they don't glorify the Father. And they share glory because Jesus is fully God. And he goes on, still making his testimony here at this trial. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death 
to life. He stands before him. He says, look, this is another claim to be God. You, you, yes, you understand correctly. I am claiming to be equal to God, and now I'm telling you my word. You believe my word, it will save you. It will bring spiritual salvation. It will bring forgiveness apart from the sacrificial system. It's important to understand. He is now taking an end run around the sacrificial system, and it's him. You believe in me, I will give you eternal life. Only God can do that. And he keeps going. Like, he keeps testifying. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, in verse 26, and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to also have life in himself. He goes on to talk about this idea of the resurrection of the dead, which is, can be a literal thing. Those who have died, he's going to raise to life but also a spiritual thing. Those who are spiritually dead can be given new life. They can be transformed. So if you feel dead inside the reality of spiritual death, of our sins, Jesus can come along and bring life into that. And he can also raise those who are dead to life. And we see this play out later on with Lazarus. He goes on and he finishes his testimony in verses 26 through 29 he says for as a father has life in himself so he has granted the son also to have life in himself and he's given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man don't marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come out and those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment and he solidifies his, his claim that he is God and he has the right, he has the keys, he is the giver of life. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 reveals God when he spoke, life came. John starts this book saying, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Like Jesus is God, Jesus is equal to God, the Father, the Son. You have to keep in mind, John's writing this to Christians who were in cultures where there was a Jewish presence that was wanting to eradicate the teachings of Christ, the memory of Christ, and anybody who would follow his way. That's why he wrote this. He wrote this to Christians who were under that kind of pressure. And it's still relevant today. If someone says Jesus never claimed to be God, they've never read John 5. Jesus gets up on the stand and he makes one claim after another, after another, and the Jews understood exactly what Jesus was saying. He was declaring to everyone, I am equal with God, I am God. He can't just be a good moral teacher. In fact, that's not a good moral teacher. That's not even good. That's either true or it's crazy or worse. So he gets done with that, and then he goes on, and he gives a list of witnesses. So here's something that's, that's different than our, our uh, judicial system. So in our judicial system, there is a plaintiff and a defendant. The defendant's on trial, and it's all about the defendant. If any bad stuff comes up about the plaintiff, it doesn't matter. It's still about the defendant. There has to be a separate trial for the plaintiff, right? If there's something bad, they have to get dealt with later. 
and the judicial system of this time, the defendant is on trial. But if there is evil, if there is crimes that have been committed by the plaintiff and they get brought out, the plaintiff can be on trial in the same trial. And they could actually be judged and sentenced in that same trial. They don't have a second one. They just do it all at once. So what happens here is Jesus flips it. He's given his testimony. He brings witnesses now, and the witnesses not only corroborate his story and, and, and testify that he is telling the truth about who he is, but it also raises crimes that have been committed by the plaintiff, by those accusing him. Does that make sense? So it's, if you don't understand this, John 5 gets real confusing. But understanding that now, there's six people that are testifying in John, right? Jesus, and he mentions this right there in verse 35. Um, and you could put, I actually put down the number of witnesses and where they are. So I put down in verse 30, number one. That's the first witness. I can do nothing on my own as I hear I judge, my judgment is just because I seek not my own, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. So he's the first witness. The second one, he says it, verse 32, there is another. And then it's tied, who is that another? Well, skip down to verse 37, and it becomes even clearer right there. And the father who has sent me, he himself is born witness. So the second witness is the father. The third witness is really clear in verse 33. It's John the Baptist. The fourth witness is the works that Jesus did in verse 36. The fifth witness comes over in verse 30, what is it, 36, where he starts to talk about his word is an abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom you sent. You search the scriptures. So the fifth witness is the, the scriptures, what we, would call, what we would call is the Old Testament. And then the sixth and final witness is Moses, down in verse 45. So when you got, kind of get the list of it, get the overall picture of this, and then we're going to kind of go through this quickly. What do these witnesses say? So Jesus has just got finished. He's the first witness to say, look, this is what I am saying about who I am. And he makes it really clear. Yes, I am saying I am equal with God. I am God. The second witness that comes in is verse 32. And, he's, and he says this, look, if it's just me, Testifying about myself, well, that's good, but that doesn't really count in the court of law. You need more. You need corroboration as he's, as he's saying this. Um, so verse 32, he says, there's another who bears witness about me, and I know the testimony that he bears about me is true. And he goes on in verse 37. Um, he says, the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you've never heard, his form you've never seen. And you don't have your word, his word abiding in you, for you don't believe the one whom he sent. He doesn't say this explicitly in the beginning. He reveals it in verse 37. But the Father is testifying that Jesus is the Son. And they won't believe the Father. We heard that when Jesus came up out of the water, the Father's voice came and people recognized it and knew God was speaking in that moment. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And it's a testimony that declares Jesus innocent of the crime or being accused of blasphemy. That's the crime, right? 
the crime of healing on the Sabbath, the crime of uh, telling this man to pick up his walk. He's innocent of those crimes because he is God. But they won't listen to the Father. John the Baptist, when you, when you read this, he says this, uh, verse 33, you sent to John and he's borne witness to the truth. Meaning they went to him, John, what, you know, what's going on? And John's like, I'm the forerunner of Christ. Prepare the way of the Lord. Repent and believe the Messiah is coming. And then John says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John was declaring Jesus is the Messiah. This is the one we waited for. And it says this, John is born witness to the truth, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. John was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his, night, in his light, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. So John's over here testifying it, and they've, what Jesus says, look, I am innocent. This witness here says, I am the Messiah. He says, I am the Messiah. You won't believe it. You liked John just for a little bit, but you really didn't want John, the forerunner, the one we've all been waiting for, the one humanity has been waiting for. And John declares as this witness that Jesus is innocent of blasphemy and that he truly is God. And you go to the, the fourth witness, and he says this, in verse, uh, it's halfway through verse 36. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So the witness that gets on the stand now is the works that Jesus has done, which is the guy that just got healed. I mean, that's the evidence. That's the testimony. He's already had some other miracles as well. And these, these works testify there is nobody but God that could do that. Nobody but God. And the testimony of the works say he's innocent of blasphemy because he is the son of God. He's truly God. And, and the crime starts to emerge of unbelief that, that the spiritual leaders over here don't believe, will refuse to believe the evidence. And that's a crime. It, it's not just, oh, that's, that's unfortunate. That's a crime. It's an affront to God. We go on from the works to the scriptures, and he says this in verse 38, you do not have his word abiding you, the Father's word, for you do not believe the one whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. So they pride themselves on having the scripture, and he's saying, look, the word of God isn't in you. You may have it, but you may know it, but it's not in you. And not only that, what he's saying is something fascinating. He's saying the scriptures, meaning, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they call that the Pentateuch. And then you've got the historical books, and you've got the books of poetry, and you've got the books of prophecy. And he says, the scriptures point to me. You have the scriptures they point to me, and the scriptures get up on the stand, and they say, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, of which we have been pointing to and, and saying, get ready for all these years. And they declare Jesus innocent of the crime of blasphemy and truly the Son of God. I don't know if you've ever thought about it when you read the Old Testament. Jesus is saying, the Old Testament, all of it points to him, points to this moment. 
we get to verse 40 to 43, and this is where all of a sudden the plaintiff is now on trial because there's three accusations that Jesus levels at him. Real quick. You refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I've come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, oh, oh yeah, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? He now brings up their crimes. You refuse to come to me. You do not have the love of God and you do not receive me. They're on trial and these witnesses are starting to say, Jesus is innocent of blasphemy. Jesus is God. You've committed crimes. You're guilty. Every witness is saying the same thing. Innocent and guilty. Innocent, guilty. Equal with God. Guilty for unbelief. Equal with God. Refusing to come to him. But you see what's happening? And then we get to the final witness here. Do you think that I'm going to accuse you to the Father? Which that's what we think, right? Jesus is going to get up in heaven. And he's going to accuse them, these, these spiritual leaders, uh, of, of rejecting him and all this. But he says, I'm not going to, one, I'm not going to be the one that accuses you. Moses. <laughs> which is crazy. That's their star witness. And they're saying, no, no, no. There is one who's going to accuse you, Moses, on whom you set your hope. For if you, believed in Moses, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. And Moses is credited for writing what we call the Pentateuch or, or, or several of the books. I, I have to dust off my uh, history of how the Bible was written, but he was credited for writing those early books. If you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words. Moses, their star witness, gets up and declares Jesus innocent of the crimes of blasphemy. He is God. And he flips the tables and he says to these Jewish leaders, you have committed this crime of unbelief. And in this dramatic turn of events, the trial goes like this. Jesus is exonerated, acquitted, found to be God, and they are judged. And he says this, uh, this whole idea of you will now be accused. And he, he says earlier, look, if you don't believe this, you will face the judgment. Um, you will face, the, he says it over in verse 29, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So that's John 5. That's a lot to take in. This is not a passage where we walk away and it's emotive, um, where it's about feeling. This is a passage where we walk away going, okay, my feet, I feel like my feet are on a solid foundation. I, I get this. Okay, I now understand why I believe what I believe. Does that make sense? This is one to walk away and go, if you ever have a passage where somebody says, Jesus is only a, a good teacher, Jesus is just a great moral man, Jesus is all about love and unity, no. Like, yeah, but no. 
you have to deal with this idea of Jesus being fully God. You can't escape it. You cannot escape it. And, and even more importantly, when people say that today, the question to ask them is, why do you say that when the Jews of his time knew exactly what he was saying and knew he was claiming to be God? Like, how do you reconcile that? And, and you don't have to win the argument. I'm just saying this message is about grounding our feet in the word and understanding that Jesus very clearly told people he was God and put that out there for them to deal with. Either belief or refuse, reject, not receive. Let me pray. Lord, I pray right now over all of us just the, uh, the lies of the world, the confusion of the world, it stops, and the truth of your message just goes to the, the deepest parts of our soul. Like this is foundation stone. Lord, pray, I pray right now it would just set firm in our soul that our, our spiritual house would be built on this truth that you are God and we believe this. We receive this truth. We accept you as God. And just where you are, I just invite you to tell him, I, I believe this. To come with belief and say, I see the evidence and I believe. And if you're at this point whether you're online, whether you're here in this room and, and you're looking like, okay, I've, I've never heard it put that way or I, I still have got things to figure out. We're so glad you're here. And maybe just, I invite you to just say, okay, God, maybe just take a risk this morning and say, God, help me to understand what that guy's saying better. Tell God, Maybe you don't even have a relationship with you don't know how to connect with, just tell them you're open. Lord, send us out this confidence in your word, this confidence in who you are. May just carry the day for us today. Amen.